Hi everyone. I'm Yem Yusuti Chaya, assistant editor for Pressure Thai English. After 10 months of protest in which Thai people took to the streets to call for reform of the monarchy and the political system, more than 600 activists have been arrested and charged for their political expression. In 2021 alone, at least 30 people have been detained on charges of sedition or royal defamation. For months, most were denied bail while awaiting trial. But this month, the Thai Criminal Court started granting bail to 24 of the detained activists. However, most of the activists were only released on the condition that they do not participate in activities that might cause public disorder or damage to monarchy. This means they cannot continue expressing their political opinions. Meanwhile, seven activists remain in detention, with several now testing positive for COVID-19 due to the recent outbreaks in the prisons across the country. A question remains, is it worth getting out of jail when you cannot speak freely? On this week's episode of Saudi's Asia Dispatches, I speak to Siri Kanjiran Siri from Thai Lawyers for Human Rights about the tension between the Thai Constitution's presumption of innocence and the criminal court's criminalization of political speech. This episode is a collaboration between New Narrative and Prashat Thai, an independent, non-profit online newspaper in Thailand. You can find out more about how to support Prashat Thai at prashatthai.com support. If you enjoy this podcast, please support New Narrative by becoming a member at newnarrative.com slash join. Memberships start at just 52 US dollar a year. That's just one dollar a week. Or you can donate at newnarrative.com slash donate and check out New Narrative website at newnarrative.com for more stories from Southeast Asia. And now, here's the interview. Hello, Srikan. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. So let's start with some introductions. Could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Like, why did you become a human rights lawyer? Hello. Hi, I'm June Srikan Jaransiri. I'm a lawyer with the Thai Lawyers for Human Rights, a legal aid and a human rights documentation that's set up in the wake of the coup d'etat in Thailand in 2014. Um, TLHR, we have provided legal aid and assistance to those arrested charged and prosecuted during the military regime, including cases of civilians that prosecuted in military courts and those prosecuted as a result of their peaceful protests against the junta or those who prosecuted over their um, peaceful assembly and peaceful expressions, including less majestic cases or defamation of the Thai monarchy. Um, How did I become a human rights lawyer? I think it started in a very early age, um, after I graduated in law school at Thammasat University in Thailand, I started out on my um, human rights lawyer career with many international human rights organizations in Thailand. And then I co-founded this um, Thai Lawyers for Human Rights um, with other human rights lawyers and social activists. And we continue until today. And you are now representing some of the most prominent pro-democracy activists in Thailand. So who are they? And what have they been protesting against? Uh, yes, Thai Lawyers for Human Rights has been, as I said, we provided legal aid assistance to those that prosecuted just because they're exercising their right to peaceful assembly. And in the past year in particular, started out actually early um, in January last year, there was um, a nationwide protest 
you know, um, following the dissolution of the Future Forward Party. And although it was um, a little bit phased out because of the COVID-19 outbreak, but then men has started out again in July last year and continue until today. So there are three main demands of their um, protests, peaceful protests, um, including a resignation of Prime Minister um, General Priyutan Oshar, who was um, the head of the coup maker in 2014 that returned as a Prime Minister because of their hand-picked um, senators that voted them, uh, him back in the, in the parliament and also under the unfair, illegitimate, legit um, electoral process um, that came with the winning of the military political party. The second demand of the protest, of the pro-democracy um, protest, was to um, draft a new constitution, the one that um, has a people-centric and more democratic, as I mentioned. The current constitution was drafted by the junta legislature and it was passed at the national referendum at the cost of many people prosecuted for peacefully campaigning against the draft constitution. Also the last demand, the third demand that has been elevated during the protest was to um, reform the institution of the Thai monarchy to be in line and to be under the constitution. So that three demands um, have been mobilized um, widely in streets, um, also online platform as well. Starting out in July last year until today, um, there are several people that have been prosecuted over their political participation. According to our own um, documentation, more than 600 people already been charged for, for exercising their political participation, protesting, or online expression. So the Thai authorities started using laws to stop the protests, stop the protesters. They use existing laws, um, Public Assembly Act, and more conveniently, the emergency decree, because the emergency decree has been invoked since the outbreak of the COVID-19 in March last year uh, to ban political gathering. Even it's peaceful, even um, it comes with the preventive measures of the um, COVID-19 spreading, but the government blanket ban the pro-democracy protests. Meanwhile, we don't have the statistic information or any details about prosecutions or charges of the pro-government um, assemblies or protests at all. However, you know, the use of those law could not stop the more and more young generation and the people who started to be discontent with the government and wanted to demand for, for those three demands. Until in November last year, General Oshar said to the media that the government will use all legal provisions against the pro-democracy or anti-government protesters. After that statement, we saw the return of less majestic offense, less majestic law royal defamation, which carry out three to 15 years in jail, as people know it as draconian law to silence the critics or opinions of the Thai monarchy. Um, we are representing not just the leaders of the, the pro-democracy movement, not just um, those 
you know, well-known name that you may know, um, lawyer Anon Nampa or um, the, the student youth activists like Parit uh, or Penguin, Rung Panasya and many others. But we also representing other, you know, citizens and protesters as well. Um, however, we see that such implementation using the law to silence people has been basically um, specifically targeted the spearhead of the movement to stop the movement. So that's why the leaders of the pro-democracy movement um, were indicted uh, under Les Muteste case over a protest back in September last year. And they were denied bail since day one on their indictment day. And they were repeatedly um, rejected their bail applications for several times, resulting in protected long pretrial detention in prisons you know, of this pro-democracy protest. So, yeah, I mean, who are they? They just, these people that comprise of um, your younger generation, those who politically active, who see the, the problems of this current um, military influence regime and the problem of um, the, con the current legal and constitutional framework that has to be um, amended or get or, or abolished and, and um, open for um, a more public participation and more democratic process to, to have sort of political reform, then the country could move forward. Let's get to the point about the bill. I heard you visited the activists in prison several times over the past two months. What conditions did you observe during those visits? Yes, in the past two months, I um, mainly visited Kunrung, um, Panasaya, a woman, one of the, the only women um, young activists who was jailed after several bills um, rejection after she indicted under Les Majeste at the criminal court. She was jailed at the Central Women Correctional Institute or let's say women prison in Bangkok since her day one in early March until she was finally granted bail um, just on the 6th of May, so almost two months. Um, in the prison facility, it was mm, difficult. It was difficult. The environment is not conducive for um, a lawyer's access to, to a client in detention. First of all, due to COVID-19 spread, the prisons um, did not allow normal visitation by, by others or by relatives or friends of detainees. Only lawyers were allowed you know, according to the law. So the prison said that they, had, they would only allow facilitated an online visitation system for family members or others to do a video call um, with the detainee. But the difficulty is that those persons are limited to only 10 persons and their names have to be registered, meaning that the detainee must write 10 names that would be on the register list. And if you're not um, on that name list, you cannot visit or even register for the online visitation. And for the online video call, 
it is allowed um, allocated only once a month and for not more than 20 minutes and um, only for no more than five registered visitors joining the same call. So that means it's so limited in terms of, you know, um, the, the families or friends of the detainee getting to know their fate and their conditions they're living in the prison during the COVID-19. Um, secondly, you know, if there's no lawyer to visit it, the detainee every day, like in this case, if I don't, I didn't visit room, um, you know, every day or except, of course, it's not allowed to visit anyone during weekends and public holidays. And no one would then know how she was doing and no way to communicate with the outside world. Um, third point is that the visitation was not with provided um, to lawyers like me with a full privacy. As you may imagine, the condition in Thai prisons is like, it's not like, you know, in, in the movie that you have a private room with, um, with your client so you can discuss into the details of some sensitivity or secrets um, that would uh, emerge during the legal consultation. In a, I, I have to be in the visit room for a lawyer and um, how we communicate is that we had to communicate through a landline phone and looking to at each other through through glass and cell. And so there was no way to guarantee that our communication through that landline phone was secure or private in such setting. I had to leave my cell phone outside the room and I spent some limited time talking with her with room um, each day. You know, maybe I, I try not to like to to spend too too less time with with with, with a detainee because um, as I said, nobody could could visit the detainee during the COVID nineteen. Then didn't know what's happening outside of the jail, so that would put them into a very you know desperation because they're not knowing anything. So I would spend maybe one or two hours um, to the maximum that the authorities would allow me to to talk with my client. And um, another point, I think it's also um, difficult when a detainee asks for some books, some external books so that they could read inside or letters or messages. It always took very long time to get um, these materials um, to the detainee because it has to pass through um, many multiple layers of screening by the, the prison authorities. So every day, if I visited her, I would not just be you know her legal counsel or lawyer but also a news reporter <laughs> briefing her of what happened outside so um room panasaya and also other detainees they like to see photos and pictures of the outside activities of their friends or of messages from others to them um so that was also something that i have to include it in my everyday materials to visit room and the others in jail the photos and messages that came from the outside world kept them hopeful, hopeful and fight a struggle on with the spirit that shared with the others outside and that they were not, you know, forgotten and that they had done what they have done, what they have fought for, have been carried um, on by others. But in short, my observation about the conditions um, in prison when I visited these leaders of the pro-democracy um, protest and movement, 
um, all of them that in pretrial detention are not able to promptly seize the documents that related to the legal cases and and um, to seek legal framework. Although, as I said, the access to lawyers have been ensured um, during this pretrial detention because I could visit them, but the time provided for our counseling was limited due to the COVID-19 and the private counseling with lawyers was denied when the activists were brought to court and when they were visited by, by us or their lawyers inside the prisons. In addition, these activists have been closely monitored by prison authorities and barred from using pens and papers to write messages to, to their lawyers and families, even in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Um, now, maybe a little bit of my personal observation of Panasaya because I visit mostly visited her in the past um, almost two months in prison, was that the prison condition effectively weakened um, her in every way, physical and mental. Though I could see that she also built up her resilience, her strength over time. But if you recall, um, Panasaya was also, she took... Um, she was on hunger strike to support her friend Penguin Parit, um, who was also detained and and uh, in a in in a a male uh, um, Bangkok remand prison for a male inmate. Um, the reason they took hunger strike because they wanted to demand for justice and calling for the right to bail for jail activists. So there were many concerns during that time of their health and their security and the risk of contracting the COVID-19 while awaiting bail. And also that their body got weaker every day in prison. The prison said that any incoming detainees from outside must be kept separate in 14 days quarantine. But when I asked or room about the conditions of the quarantine, it was impossible though that um, the prison couldn't actually separate each detainee to keep social distancing was, you know, as a policy for the safety. Um, for Rung, she, she told me that she was quarantined with some 30 women detainees in one room, that everyone shared the same open toilet. So I was not really surprised when Rung found out five days later after she was released on bail that she tested positive for COVID-19. But still, it was horrible because she was detained without bail until... She got the virus from prison. And when she, were released, she was released, she also tra- likely to transmit um, the virus to her, her, her family members. And friends. As we're speaking, her mom, her dad, her sister, and at least three friends of her already contracted the, uh, COVID-19. So where else could she get it from if not in the prison? And many detained protesters were granted bail in the past month. Do you see this as a positive sign from Thailand judicial system, especially since it was nearly impossible in the past for people who have criticized the monarchy to receive the bell? I would not put it as a positive sign, but I could see some individual courage of some principal judges who could no longer turn a blind eye on the abuse of the law itself. Now, if adhering to to the criminal laws related to the right to provisional release or or bail of an accused and defendant in a criminal case with no prejudice, with no political interference, the bail must be a general rule, not an exception. 
Um, speaking of that, Thai criminal laws uh, leave a wide discretion for the court to authorize pretrial detention. You know, it's rendering to um, abuses for political reasons, especially for suppressing dissidents exercising their freedom of expression and assembly. Um, maybe I, I go into a little bit of, of, you know, the principle under the Thai law, I mean, the law itself. Um, it specifies that the court, in considering whether to allow bail or not, what would they consider? So one, the gravity of the charge. Uh, number two, the existence, the existence of the evidence. Number three, the circumstances of the case. Number four, the liability of the applicant or of the bail or security. Um, five, the likelihood of the accused or defendant absconding. Six, the danger or injury which might ensue from the provisional release. And lastly, any objection by the relevant authorities. This is, this is the language that very simple and plain, but it allows you know, some sort of individualized de determination by a judge or authority. So usually it becomes with um, is there any um, for for purposes to prevent flight or you know um, accused or defendant absconding or fleeing or the interference of the evidence or the recurrence of the crime? But when we see in the past, um, only speaking of these political motivated cases and less majestic proceedings, it have given rise, including, you know, the denial of bail, even in cases of persons suffering from serious medical conditions or in cases of persons subject to unusual practices that put their security at risk. Um, I remember that since the coup, according to I-Law information, um, since the coup in 2014 until 2017, only about 16% of suspects in less majestic proceedings were released on bail. So it that very minimal percentages that the Thai judiciary grants bail for less majestic cases. And saying that for, for purposes as to prevent flight and that the accused may cause another danger, you know. Um, that sort of practice came back again, as I said, starting from last November until today. But let's say, let's see only in, in the, just these leaders of the pro-democracy movement and, and the protesters, um, there have been a lot of criticisms, even among legal scholars in Thailand, legal experts in Thailand, about the repeatedly, um, the repeated bail rejections on less majestic cases by Thai courts in these past two months. Because when we look at the legal grounds, if the court shall deny the application for bail, there are five legal grounds, only five legal grounds. One, if um, the accused or defendant is likely to abscond. Two, the accused or the defendant would interfere with the witness or evidence. Three, the accused or defendant would cause other danger. Four, 
the applicant or security is not credible. And lastly, if provisional release or bail is granted, then this will cause an obstruction or damage to the investigation or the proceedings at court. So just to in plain language, so that every everyone's not studying law can can understand what I'm saying is that if it's not within these five reasons that I just mentioned, it is not the legal ground that the court should or shall deny the bail for um, the cases, including less majestic cases. But now let's see when the court rejected bail for these less majestic cases, including the leaders, what they said. They repeatedly denied on the basis of gravity of the defense, of, of, sorry, of the offense or the less majestic. But when you look at it, the nature of the action that's accused, you know, including what speeches or political speech and expressions that bring disgrace to the monarchy and hurt feelings of Thai people without fear of law and incite people to violate the law of the country. This is the wording that the court used as a reason to deny bail. And if you and if you hear it carefully, these wordings are not one of those five legal grounds. The court cited something like hurt feelings of Thai people, of those who royal to the institution of the monarchy. So, you know, there's a debate that the denial of bail by the Thai court is unconstitutional, is not really um, adherence to the law that provided its source of um, discretion. Another reason that the court gave when they denied bail earlier, you know, in the past two months to less majestic cases, is that on the ground that the acts that um, that the defendants may reoffend, reoffend by committing the same or similar harmful crimes following the temporary release. Which is, if you ask me whether this kind of reason to reject bail application, um, you know, is is lawful or not. Um, to my as my personal legal view, I think it is not, because this is still it just accusation against someone. It's just accusation against the accused or defendant. It has to be yet it not yet to be um, judged or punished. I mean adjudicated and found guilty. So accusations still to be tried by the court to be adjudicated by competent, impartial, and independent court. And until it is proven that the defendant is really guilty and only by the final verdict, you cannot conclude that what he's accused of committing was a wrongful act or a crime. It's too soon to say that the defendant may re-offend, you know, something or a crime following the bail um, or the temporary release. This is against the principle of presumption of innocence that you must not treat um, a, a, an accused or defendant um, as a convicted person. And, and it has to be presumed that he's innocent, he or she innocent, until you, know, you reach the final verdict by the impartial, competent, and independent court that such a person really a convicted of foul cutie. In, in this way, 
you know, it's unjustified. It's unjustified, and 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 it could only be seen as the bail conditions as an attempt to silence and punish people even before their trial. So as we speak, in mid May, 20 May to be exact, is there or will there be attempt to challenge the legality of that bail condition? Um. Yes. Yes. Um. Actually, 19 May, no? it's um, we received the motion by the police. They filed a motion to seek the revocation of bail of four defendants, four activists, um, on the ground that they breached the condition of bail. And why? Because, you know, they continue to participate or um, engage in activities, um, peaceful protests against, um, in demanding for the right to bail and for independence of the judiciary, and they were charged with contempt of court, um, uh, allegedly also insulting, threatening the court, that acting in in uh, in, in in power. Um, you know, to intervene or interfere in the in the justice. I mean, that's the accusation that they brought against some of the activists. Four activists were now facing um, risk of being revoked of the bail, and if so, they will be put in jail. However, this is um, a good example of the problem of this release on bail with conditions that actually restrict and limit your civil rights, your political rights, and also put it in a way that it's so vague, it's with ambiguity that police or anyone can interpret in the way that the defendant, you know, cause public disorder or engage in an activity that incites unrest. So that means if they stop or cease raising issues or talking publicly about the institution of the monarchy is not enough, but they have to want to stop exercising their peaceful their uh, their right to peaceful protest, right? This is this is something to put back to to the society and also the legal system that it it is becoming clear that the regime using you know, these sort of bail conditions to not just stop people discussing about the Thai monarchy, but also to completely quell, stop people coming to the street if it is something critical or vocal of the regime. So you mean that the legality of the bail condition will be put onto the trial, right? After the police already submitted the yes, motive. Yes, yes, we we uh, we postponed it. We asked to postpone because some of the defendants contracted COVID-19. They couldn't come to the court. You know, and it's and this is also one of the issues that in this sort of crisis of another outbreak of the COVID-19 at the moment, you know, international uh, organizations and even the authorities should actually think of alternative ways of not arresting or detaining more people and send them into already crowded places like prisons 
to risk them getting COVID-19, you know. But we could see that in these political motivated cases, police, um, prosecutors, judges, they do not stop at all. They continue as usual. So, I mean, for this challenge of the legality, not the legality, the challenge, um, the sorry, the, the inquiry into whether the court will revoke bail uh, bail of four defendants or four activists or not is already in court and we will see um we will see the results in june yeah i mean it postponed until 22nd of june is there any hope of securing more rights for people who have been granted bail in thailand um this is not a legal question i think i think it's it's more of political and societal questions. How, how do we all advocate and raise awareness to the public and general public about this fundamental guarantee of the rights of whoever that one day might become an accused or a defendant uh, in the criminal procedure or a criminal system of Thailand? We are not just talking about political um, prisoners or political detainees or these political protesters and activists. But from, from the practices of the Thai judiciary and the authorities in these political motivated cases, let's say less majestic cases, sedition cases, it shows the, the, the problem that has been under the carpet that our legal system is not a strong rule of law system. It's not a guaranteed due process of law, meaning that you cannot be so certain that one day, if maybe you cross a line or step on someone who's influential or in power and they put you under these criminal proceedings, that you will get the fundamental protection such as right to bail. So I guess it's a question of um, how to, of course, put the, the agenda about legal judiciary reform onto the table along with these packages of political reform that also must include institutional reform. When I say institutional reforms, we can't just say we want to reform only military or only police or only um, um, government or only monarchy, but also these apparatus or entities of the of the all branches of the government, including the Thai judiciary as well. So that's the best hope is that it this sort of political agenda that incorporates you know, the protection of human rights and protection of democracy and strengthening the rule of law goes hand in hand with whatever um, the people's movement would continue with um, their, you know, um, constitutional demand, or I mean, the demand for the new constitution to be drafted. So I guess that's the best hope is that not just the people in the street, but also us, even speaking of people in the legal system has to also raise this issue and trying to 
um, make it better so that people will resume their trust and their respect to the Thai legal system. Do your clients plan to comply with the court's order not to continue protesting? Well, first of all, I really can't say for any of them, you know, but my observation is that some of them truly believe that what they did at first place was already within what they could do um, in a normal democratic society. They didn't use they didn't use any violence. Their protests were unarmed, were peaceful. So the conditions that not to engage in activities that would um, cause public disorder or violence, they're not going to do that because they truly believe that what they're going to do is peaceful. Or what they're going to say or express is not to damage the institution of the monarchy. It is open for interpretation, as I said, not just by the government side or by the authorities, but also by those who who are under the conditions. If they said, well, I interpreted that um, my good faith comments or criticism of um, the role of the Thai monarchy under the constitution is for the interest of the monarchy themselves, not to damage the institution then why not? And how do you see the future of Thailand's pro-democracy movement now that so many of its leading figures are being pressured into silence? Uh, In terms of the pro-democracy movement, I think everyone, some some of us already say that, you know, because of this harsh suppression in every way and their leaders were, um, in jail for for a long time. Some of them have not been released yet, and that the movement has died out. Uh, I have I I concur. I mean, I have different views on that. I think, you know, last year when we saw the widespread or nationwide rallies, demonstrations, um, starting from run against dictatorship in January. And then during and after um, the court, the constitutional court dissolved the Future Forward Party, and then the COVID took place, and people said that the COVID-19 would affect the mobilization of the people, but then we were wrong because, you know, in June, there was a movement calling for the investigation and justice for the enforced disappearances of Wan Shalom Sasaksit, one of the Thai political activists in exile in Cambodia who went forcibly disappeared. And then in July, people were in the street. And to be fair, it already took several months for them. I would say that this is just the time for for the first wave of pro-democracy movement to take a little bit of time to rest in respect and um, retreating a little bit. And I'm pretty sure that this is not the end of it. This is not the end of the pro-democracy movement. They'll come back. It could be even new faces. And let me remind you, because we're under this unexpected you know, timeline of the COVID-19 again, 
Um, and most of the students, those younger people that were so active in the street and also online platform, they haven't resumed to gather their forces at school or at the education, uh, educational institution because they have to take online courses and studying now. Um, I would say, yeah, it's just the time for the movement to to take it slow and to re-strategize um, their tactics and their demands or their agenda. You know, how would they move forward? And I think it could be a timely strategic time for them to also trying to connect and mobilize people of various issues and various um, in various localities in Thailand and, 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 and then come back with even more, you know, power, um, stronger and, and with people power. So I, I'm still hopeful with, with this pro-democracy movement that um, emerged from last year. Those are very insightful observations and rich comments. And that's all the time we have for today. Thank you once again for speaking with us, Sirikan. Thank you. Thank you. Our thanks to Sirikan for joining us on this week's episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches. Next week, be sure to tune in to New Narratives Political Agenda, New Narratives podcast series on current affairs in Singapore. This is Yam Yut, wishing all listeners great week ahead. <laughs>